0: Welcome to the Data Brilliant Podcast with me, Joe Dos Santos, Chief Data Officer at Click. In this series, we explore how data is reshaping and redesigning the future of our business and personal worlds. From business leaders to educators to public figures, we'll be joined by experts who will give us a fresh perspective on the world through data. Today, I'm joined by Tom Vander Ark, Educational Advisor and Innovator. He is the CEO of Getting Smart, a firm which aims to support and advise learning organizations, He is also a regular author and Forbes contributor and the previous Executive Director of Education for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Welcome to Data Brilliant, Tom. Thank you, Joe. Great to be with you. Well, let's start by getting to know a little bit more about getting smart. So the organization is built to support and advise learning. Tell us about how you do that. We organize thought leadership campaigns around emerging issues like the future of work and the
1: future of learning, and we advise regions, districts, school networks, and ed
0: Uh, ed tech companies on the path forward. So one of the major themes that I've started to see in your writing that's been coming from Getting Smart is that we tend to be teaching kids about how to be competent in terms of how to achieve a certain task as opposed to really helping them be effective in the long term. And one of your pieces recently was titled Stop Calculating and Start Teaching Computational Thinking. I wonder if you could explain this line of thinking to our listeners. Uh, Joe, as uh, 2020 illustrates, uh, y- young people are just going to uh,
1: experience w- waves and waves of these uh, unpredictable changes. Perhaps more in the, in the in the next 20 years than we've seen in the last uh, 200 years. So, the most important thing is uh, that we can teach young people is how to attack unknown and adaptive problems. That really requires a structured problem solving approach, like design thinking or, or computational thinking, one where we're humble about the problems that we face and how we uh, frame and identify them, but confident that we can work collaboratively to interrogate uh, these problems and iterate solutions. So that means using the smart tools that we have available to take on increasingly complex and important problems. It also means that we should teach math as if computers existed. I find the calculating that we ask young people to do, like long division and factoring pom- polynomials, a little bit like glass blowing. It's <laughs> kind of cool to know that you can do that, but it's not like you're going to fire up the furnace when you need a new glass. You you use the tools available to you. Uh, Latin is a little bit like this, that uh, until 30 years ago, it was required by British schools as part of their core curriculum. But it's just not a practical skill that most people need. So. We need to help kids think about big problems and the data set behind
0: those problems and use tools that uh, that exist. Yeah, I really appreciate the term effective there. It resonated me with me when you were describing how that's what we look for when we're trying to hire people. We're looking for people who have problem solving skills, critical thinking. And whether or not I remember how to do two-variable algebra versus one is not particularly important to my future employer. It's how to apply those skills when the the languages that we use from a technical perspective might change, the environments might change, and what's what's the only thing left is our ability to learn and be lifelong learners.
1: Yeah, let me be clear because uh, some friends uh, will jump quickly to assuming that Tom doesn't care about algebra. Uh, Algebraic reasoning is still critically important. You and I, every day, try to uh, understand the problems that we face. We try to understand what are the givens and what are the unknowns. We try to understand how the variables relate uh, to each other. And we try to understand how we could model or simulate uh, these problems, how we could set them up to compute uh, possible solutions. So that is all... Algebraic reasoning, which is critically important and something that um, that professionals do uh, every single day What we've done in mathematics education around the world is We've turned it into calculation And we are, are preoccupied by means of calculation uh, When that just isn't very necessary anymore I think kids ought to learn their times tables because it can help you estimate uh, w- When you're in the grocery store but you, you've, you've never used long division uh, in the grocery store line. Uh, so we should be smart about our, our focus on, um, uh, on teaching algebraic reasoning and problem solving, but using the tools that we have at
0: hand. And one of the particular things that you take aim at as part of the regime that emphasizes these skills is the standardized test. Uh, last April, you wrote a piece called A Proposal to End Standardized Testing. And what's been interesting about 2020 is you've actually seen a lot of school districts that haven't been able to execute their tests the way they wanted to. And we've been, you know, getting been getting firsthand uh, views as to what the, that world looks like. So in a world where you get what you measure, are we measuring the wrong thing? And what is 2020 teaching us that is a better thing to measure?
1: The measures in our accountability system are really uh, narrow and dated. They've Focus primarily on reading and math proficiency levels. Uh, what we're seeing in contrast uh, over the last two years is that thousands of schools have adopted broader aims. Some of them call it a portrait of a graduate or graduate profile that more accurately reflect the
0: success skills that young people need for careers and citizenship today. What is the sign of an effective person? And we've touched upon things like data literacy and understanding kind of the world around you and problem solving. But is there some way for us to be able to measure uh, an alternative to your ability to do uh long form division, which is your ability to solve problems as they're presented to you, for example?
1: We're at a really formative time in, in terms of defining success skills, Joe. Um, th- there's many different um, names for it. Uh, it. But Joe I, I would say that I would say cor- corporate America is also uh, working on this if you know if you look at employee profiles we, we used to focus just on a set of technical skills or uh, computer skills or a particular machine that you're using um, but but companies are also trying to understand uh, success skills and to teach those companies like Google were uh, early to identify the fact that uh, Collaborating on a team was really important, and that feeling safe in a team setting uh, w- really affected your, um, your effectiveness. Uh, so I think companies as well as K-12 schools and colleges are, are trying to define these variables and uh, incorporate them into their goals, into their learning models, and into their uh, success
0: dashboards. Yeah, not only that, but in their interview process, uh, there's a lot of organizations that are doing behavioral interviewing that will say, for instance, tell me about a time that you had to solve a really difficult problem or you worked with a difficult person as an indication to, to provide some examples of people who have demonstrated those skills in the past. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, um, this shift that's underway, uh, to be digital and the influence that it's having in our school. So, 2020 has done many things to us, but one of the things it's done is introduce a lot of virtual learning a lot more quickly than we had expected. And back in 2011, maybe back in the time machine, you had a book that was called Getting Smart, How Digital Learning is Changing the World. And you really foresaw a lot about what was going to change with respect to children and learning and the introduction of digital media into the classroom. Uh, So it must be gratifying for you in 2020 to see many of those things pushed and accelerated even further. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts around how this year has gone and what we've learned from these experiments. Well, it's
1: gratifying and and frustrating simultaneously. Uh, I was a superintendent 20 years ago, working on these issues. Uh, we were one of the first school districts uh, to, for students to have one-to-one uh, mobile devices. We started an online school 20 years ago. Um, and so I guess first, Joe, I'd, I'd like to say thank you to the 3 million teachers that really scrambled uh, and, and did their very best to support learners in a crazy difficult time, Number two, I, I want to thank and recognize the thousands of school districts that did a remarkably great job of shifting quickly and efficiently to digital learning, taking advantage of the platforms and blended learning models that they have developed over the last 10 years. Uh, but Joe, it's r- really, really clear that the majority of school districts were not at all prepared Uh, both in in terms of uh, the devices, their blended learning protocols, uh, and most in terms of uh, Wi-Fi at home for students
0: as well as teachers. Um, The other thing that you've mentioned a lot in your research has been that young people really need to be taught to be place-aware that the idea of where they live and how they interact with other people, their neighbor, their neighborhoods, their communities, physical and digital place, they all kind of drive that sense of self and purpose and really can help them to become aware of some of the you know the ways to be effective in their community. And you've mentioned data literacy a couple of times, and one of the things that we found kind of shocking is that only about 21% of people that are between the ages of 16 and 24 would call themselves as data literate. And in a world in which we're really trying to get people to become aware of their surroundings, aware of their political and financial environment, and to drive some change in that, uh, how can we bridge these digital native skills that we have in youth, where they all know how to get onto TikTok and they all know how to get onto Spotify? And how can we translate those to the ability to read and understand and even argue with data, do you think? Thanks, Joe. I appreciate a
1: great question that connects place and data. Uh, We just published a book with ASCD called The Power of Place. And in that book, we argue for more community-connected, project-based learning. We also argued that young people ought to be engaged in uh, local problems and opportunities and learn to see the data behind uh, every problem and opportunity out there. We are big advocates for all learners to to become data scientists, if, if you will, to think about how to collect and clean and combine data. I think, Joe, you do a lot of that in your, in your day job. Certainly Uh, do. How to model and simulate systems, how to present and visualize data to, uh, to provoke positive change.
0: And, and we think much of that can be connected to the, the place that they're from. It's a a remarkable insight because uh, part of the thing that we think about with respect to being a data scientist is that while people think it's about technical skill and it's about uh, coding skill, um, the most important thing is to have an understanding of the problem that's in front of you. uh, Whose problem is it? How acute is it? And how do I start to make a material impact on that with data? So again, back to your point the effectiveness is not really necessarily anchored to your computational skill as much as your ability to really understand the situation.
1: Um, In the last four years, um, artificial intelligence systems have really become uh, prevalent in every aspect of our life, um, from the retail stores we shop in, uh, whether it's online or physical, uh, into the way we use transportation, transportation into the way we communicate with each other in our entertainment. And there's algorithms behind each one of those. And and often those algorithms are, uh, are, are based on uh, data that has a bias of privilege associated with it. And each of us, um, in the way that we think, um, have a, a set of biases. And so we think that the data literacy that uh, that you, you advocate for, Joe, is, is so critical and that we incorporate it into teaching students to be metacognitive about the, the way they think, about the data that they're using, about the tools that they're using, about the data that's being collected. Uh, and, and we think if that's part of the, uh, the curriculum, uh, across the curriculum every day for every learner, that we'll, – help create a generation of uh, citizen uh, citizens that are ready to make use of smart tools to, to make
0: a difference in their community. What a great point around the inherent bias of some of the math that we use. And one of the things that I find remarkable about 2020 is it's hard not to see it as a very human uh, thing as opposed to a mathematical construct. This isn't about mathematics and how it affects it. It's about the lives of real people. And one of the things I've observed is there are certain industries that have been out in front with respect to how to uh, at least lessen and dampen some of the impact of that math. So for instance, if you are making lending decisions in a bank, there are rules in place that will protect or at least limit your ability to use certain conditions like your gender, your age as a factor in making that loan. And what we see is for the most part out in in the rest of the world, those rules haven't quite caught up. And I remember the the big fervor that was in place when uh, one of the travel agencies used to recommend more expensive trips to people that use Macs versus people that use uh, PCs because they noticed that that was actually what the data was supporting. And sometimes, um, sometimes the right thing to do is not what the math suggests, it's what we as a as a, as a community decide is the right thing to do. And, and I agree with you that kind of getting a, getting a sense of your place, getting a sense of what's going on out there is really the most important grounding part for that.
1: AI is being used um, in lending, in hiring, in policing, in sentencing. It's really part of uh, daily life. And it, it, it means that each of us have to be data smart um, about um, how and where data is being used so that we can really be not only effective consumers, but effective citizens. It's why I'm so happy that uh, a growing number of school districts are incorporating AI ethics into middle school. Um, and again, as you said, not not as a math subject, but as a social science uh, of helping young people understand where and how uh, data is used and why it's uh, critically important that they um, be clear about um, the security of their own data, but then help uh,
0: help their communities make smart decisions about how data is used. So great, such great learning and development skills for our youth and I guess if we start to combine the idea of being able to use the data to conclude things in, in context, we also need to combine that with the ability of people to understand what data they're actually using in the first place for their conclusions. And I would imagine that, you know, we are living in a world of fake news and, and what's on Facebook is a meme that becomes in, an instant following. And it, in my mind, I think it's an, an important combination. We need to certainly get people to understand the data that they're using to become literate in terms of understanding where that came from, as well as uh, being able to think critically about the data and, and within the context of being ethical in their own place. Um, what do you think our educational system can do better to support our ability to be more critical of the sourcing of data, to be um, more demanding of, of facts to back up where that data came from?
1: It's possible to build tools that can uh, pick these things out, but the fakes are getting uh, better faster than the detection tools. So this is a, uh, a brand new element of data literacy that we just have to teach in every grade, uh, K through college. Um, it's, it's a matter of, of uh, data literacy, of critical consumption, of checking your facts, of pausing before you share to m- make sure that it's a, a trusted source. Um, this is not only individual data literacy. I, I think this is going to be a new set of tools that education and civic leaders will need to Help communities come to a shared reality so they can build agreements that keep them moving
0: forward. So um, we have talked a little bit around um, what we are looking for with respect to effectiveness in students. Um, Is there anybody that's doing this well? And. And I guess in some respects, how do we measure that? And as you can see, I'm a little bit obsessed with this idea of measurement, because in some respects, sometimes we measure computational skills because they're easy to measure, not because they're the right things to measure. And so it would seem to me that we have the same kind of challenge in front of us with respect to our our, our public and even private academic institutions. How do we know that what they're doing is working?
1: That's a great question, Joe. Um, I think we're we're seeing a move to uh, comprehensive learner records that capture growth trajectories on key competencies. So that all, that, that sounds like education speak, but in, in the <laughs> past we sort of tracked reading and math skills in a grade book. And uh, I, I'm suggesting, as we discussed earlier, that schools um, identify important competencies like critical thinking and. Uh, and problem-solving and uh, collaboration. And uh, they track lots of observations and data points uh, on that over time so that we're not just measuring the level but also the, the growth rate. We're beginning to see a, a number of uh, school districts move in this direction. Um, El Paso, Texas, a big urban district, uh, that seven years ago was in crisis and focused on test prep uh, and has shifted to a, a broader set of uh, outcomes, critical thinking, uh, bilingual communication, problem solving, um, informed citizenship. Um, and they, over the last seven years, have seen improvement in every one of those dimensions, as well as an improvement in the culture, Im- improvement in um employment statistics, improvement in learning environments, improvement uh, as a a trusted community partner. So that's a a great example of a turnaround from a very narrow focus on standardized tests to uh, a broader uh, dashboard of indicators. Uh, And and I'm
0: I'm optimistic that we'll see more of that uh, going forward. Those are great examples in that it doesn't matter particularly. It would seem if you're urban or earl or big or small. And there is a way to for, for that, that student to really recognize their sense of place in that respective community. And there's ways to actually figure out what that trajectory of that student is. And we're not thinking about their fourth grade math score. We're thinking about whether or not at the age of 25 this kid has a job and uh, he's doing well and he's contributing to society. That's quite different, isn't it? It, it is. And
1: I, I, I don't want to... Suggest that I'm not interested in the fourth grade math score, but what I what I would like to know is what's that learner's level? How fast are they growing in uh, mathematics? In more broadly, in problem solving strategies? How rapidly are their uh, reading and literacy skills growing? Um, how well do they work with other people? How well are they uh, managing themselves and their time and their uh, in their behavior, so a broader view of effectiveness measured as proficiency as well as growth, um, taking into account multiple contexts, and then beginning to understand what are the what are the variables that help this uh, learner progress most rapidly, and how can they be really begin to take charge of their own learning so that they can put themselves in situations where they can learn. Um, rapidly and uh, make the biggest impact. That's really what we want for our, ourselves
0: and our kids. Yeah, and what's remarkable about your list there is you may have just done a 100% overlap with what I'm looking for in a data scientist right can they learn are they going to learn quickly what's their path to success and effectiveness and i think that the marriage of kind of a uh, an academic success to a professional success is really something that uh, is unique in your way of thinking that i hope becomes much more widespread as we as we move over the next few years
1: yeah i I do too um we for too long uh, were spoon feeding kids telling them the right answer and whether they got it or not um and we weren't asking them to be leaders of their own learning. And what I think, Joe, what you most want are people that will take initiative, both in what they need to learn, how they need to learn, but also in where and how they can contribute uh, to the work that you share. And if we want initiative, creativity, ingenuity, collaboration, then we need to create space and time for that in school and to give feedback on those
0: things. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So you are a prolific writer, author, speaker. How can our listeners get more of Tom Vander Ark? Yeah, just uh, find me at gettingsmart.com and on Twitter at T. ark. Tom, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: No, I appreciate your questions uh, and, and uh, clicks uh, focus on
0: data literacy. It's been great being with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Data Brilliant, brought to you by Click and hosted by me, Joe Dos Santos. We all want our children to be lifelong learners, to be successful in their chosen professions and in their careers, lives and communities. And I think today's conversation with Tom Vander Ark causes us to ask, are we doing the right things in our schools to get our children to the place that they need to be? Thanks, Tom, for lighting the way.